This is episode number 417 with CEO of Elephant Ventures, Art Schechtman. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Day Science Podcast, everybody. Super excited to have you back here on the show. Today, we spoke, well, I spoke with Art Schechtman, who is the CEO of Elephant Ventures, a company that helps other companies with their data engineering and data product development. This was a very cool conversation. So... In this podcast, you'll hear about what is data engineering and what is data product development and how an experienced company with over, I think, about 17 years of experience of helping other companies in space, how they go about it, what kind of pipeline they've prepared and how they put it all together. One thing I want to warn you right away about this podcast is if you choose to listen to it, then you need to commit. It took me about 30 minutes to build this picture in my head, you'll actually hear me in the audio say like, wow, like how how I finally understand how interesting this all is. And it took me about 30 minutes to build this all into one picture. And then I saw, then the conversation like took a whole new level. I saw how this is all, how it all comes together. So if you do listen, make sure to commit and go past, at least past that 30 minute mark. Um, So what exactly will you hear about? Uh, You'll hear about business value, uh, data quality engineering, data pipelines, clarity of purpose and capturing value through data, the cone of reality dispersion, the definitions of data engineering and data product development, um, what kind of skills, uh, technical skills are required, and how uh, arts company goes about looking the philosophically looking at all this and also how they help companies implement these things and uh who is this podcast most valuable for this podcast is most valuable if you uh not only want to do data science but you also want to understand the infrastructure uh that is required in order for companies to do data science rapidly and do rapid innovations with data so uh if you want to just add that to your data science toolkit toolkit and understanding or whether you're an executive at an enterprise or you want to build a startup and you want to have those things a bit more clear in your mind, this podcast is for you. Very interesting conversation coming up. Can't wait for you to check it out. So without further ado, I bring to you Art Schechtman, who is the CEO of Elephant Ventures. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, everybody. Super excited to have you back here on the show. And today we've got a special guest calling in from Long Island, uh, New York, Art Sheckman. Art, how are you going today? Great. Thanks for having me on. This is, uh, is going to be fun. Excited to have you on. And you'll be, um, I don't know, maybe surprised to know you're the first guest who is doing the podcast standing with me. We're both standing up right now. This is awesome. That and is awesome. Uh, yeah, we talked a bit about it before the show. Uh, tell tell our listeners. I I've been trying to drive this message across. I even recorded like a short episode for the podcast with a chiropractor on why standing up is is good for you. Like, when did you start standing, and and how has it changed your life? Oh man, so this is a, a, an interesting story. So my great aunt uh, Vera is uh, she's gonna be mad at me. She's uh, <laughs> 90, 90 years old, uh, and. Uh, She's a professor of, of piano pedagogy. So, so uh, now she's retired, but she, she, uh, she lifelong piano teacher. Yeah. And uh, she got into ergonomics and like, mm. like repetitive strain injuries to like help musicians who had injuries over time, like rehabilitate themselves and keep playing their instruments. 
Yeah. And so she learned a bunch about ergonomics. She was always hounding me like, you have to have the proper chair. It has to have a low back and a seat pan tilt adjustment and height adjustment. And that's it. No arms. And she would like yeah. beat me if I had arms on my chairs. And uh, uh, she was like, it has to be this high. And the monitor has to be this way and whatever. So, you know, at the company, we we like had to buy those kinds of chairs. Like I couldn't, <laughs> like I was having post-traumatic chair stress. Uh-huh. And uh, anyway, so we were really sensitive to ergonomics and making sure people had good setups and whatever. And then, you know, as you get on, sit in the computer all the time, your posture suffers and like you lose a lot of flexibility in your hips and like your shoulders start to round and whatever. It's just, it's bad news for posture. And uh, one of our our folks, her husband actually had started standing up and he was just raving about it. And he's like, I feel great. My posture's improved. I can't sit down now. It's yeah. like, That's crazy. And I'd been reading about all the health benefits. So about, I don't know, now two and a half years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, I started standing up and it was amazing. I really, I, to everyone out there, try it. Definitely buy a gel mat. That is the one thing that will make all the difference in the world. Yeah. Um, but it's great. I mean, I, it was fantastic. I like snowboarding and it, it just did fantastic differential diagnosis of like pre stand up, terrible sucking wind. My legs were killing me s- snowboarding. And then post standing up like a year later, I could do whatever I want to do. And, fantastic. uh, my posture is improved and I feel more flexible. It's great for core strength and like, yeah. it's, it's just awesome. And it's a no brainer. It, yeah, it's yeah. really after the first two, three months, you don't even notice you're doing it. And the then first three months are the hardest, sitting. right? Yeah. I, I went through that recently. I've been doing it for five months, three months, first three months. Like you just want to sit down all the time, your back hurts and so on. But then after that, it's just like, it's natural, right? Yeah. I remember when I was uh, when I was like 16 or 17, one of my first jobs was being an usher at a movie theater. Yeah. And you would just be on your feet walking through the movie theater all day or taking tickets or whatever. And you were just standing the whole day. Yeah. Yeah. And I just remember the first couple of weeks of that job, I was like in pain and sore. And I was like, man, my feet are killing me. And yeah. and so now I'm a lot older than that. And it, it's definitely like three months, not like three weeks of adjustment. Yeah. Uh, but the gel mat, like it definitely that takes pressure off your knees and gives you kind of a reason to activate your core and move around while you're standing. Yeah. That helped me a lot, but yeah, to- totally worth it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, good, good uh, suggestion yeah. for people to check it out. Um, and yeah, welcome. Uh, excited to talk. We've got, uh, we've got quite a bit of things to cover uh, about uh, the things that you do in the data space for, um, and it'll be interesting, exciting for me as well, because like in a certain way, because I am excited to learn about what you do. And I think you're um, on a very uh, relevant topic these days about digital transformations and uh, helping the world uh, in, in this technology space. Uh, for somebody who hasn't heard about your company before or doesn't know what you do, how do you describe uh, what your company is? Maybe introduce your company for us, please, and and also what your role is there. Sure, um, I would. Uh, my role is easy. I'm the uh, the chief cook and bottle washer, which means uh, from a servant leadership standpoint, I do everything uh, that no one else uh, has yet been trained or or hired to do. Yeah. Um, which luckily for me, I have a fantastic team. So these days, uh, it's it's the fun stuff and and not so much of the the super heavy lifting. Elephant Ventures is a digital innovation and transformation company. Mm-hmm. Um, we were founded 17 years ago, mm-hmm. and we focus on helping either early stage startups or innovation practices in large corporations mm-hmm. to materialize their ide- ideas faster. Mm-hmm. We have uh, a a methodology we developed over the last 17 years that we call dependable innovation. And mm-hmm. in fact, dependability is at the top of our corporate values pyramid. Um, and, and really, we help people go from early stage ideation and how they vet and think about ideas to uh, the, the kind of concept of idea refinement and how you prototype early and then go build prototypes and get to business value. Our whole mm-hmm. focus is about how do you go from an idea to delivered business value in the uh-huh. innovation or adjacency space where you're trying to transform an existing system or do something new with new tools. Okay, okay, very interesting. I hope you're enjoying this episode. We'll get back to it after this quick break. 
And the Confident Data Skills Edition 2 is out. This is the second edition of the book I published in 2018. Uh, some time has passed since then. A lot of things have changed in the space of artificial intelligence and data science. If you're not familiar with the book, then it helps develop an understanding of all of the main data science algorithms and the data science process on an intuitive level. So no code, no complex mathematics, just intuitive explanations of the algorithms and useful practical examples and case studies. This book will be extremely helpful for you if you're starting out or if you're looking to cement in that intuitive feeling for the algorithms as you progress through your career. Specifically, you will learn about decision trees, random forests, k-nearest neighbors, naive bays, logistic regression, k-means clustering, hierarchical clustering, reinforcement learning, upper confidence bound, and Thompson sampling. And in this second edition, I also added robotic process automation, computer vision, natural language processing, reinforcement learning and deep learning, and neural networks. Plus, of course, you will learn extremely valuable skills for your career, such as ethics and AI, presentation skills, data science interview tips, and much more. So if you want to get a grip and really cement in your intuitive understanding of this field, then this is the book for you. And you can get it on Amazon already today. It's called Confident Data Skills Edition 2, and it's a purple book. So enjoy, and let's get back to the podcast. Um, there's plenty of ideas out there, right? And But it's about executing. And on the other hand, we were chatting before the podcast, there's plenty of companies that have a lot of data scientists executing, but most of those projects don't see the light of day. So I guess it's about putting the right ideas with the right execution to get results. Yeah, so we um, we have this framework we call our our data to decision accelerator, or mm -hmm. and and we have a kind of a technology pattern that we call our data driven innovation kind of pattern, mm -hmm. and it's around that core concept exactly what you mentioned that there's a lot of data, and yeah. there's a lot of people doing data science, a lot of people doing data engineering, but somewhere somehow you have to thread that through with concept of business value. You have to achieve a business yeah. result somehow. You either have to be reducing risk, changing capital allocations, capturing markets, developing revenue, creating insights. Mm -hmm. But even that is not enough. If you just take an idea of a way to get some data somewhere, do some modeling or analytics, get it surfaced to a dashboard and create insights for people, you haven't captured any business value. You've mm -hmm. given people the understanding of how they might capture business value, but you didn't mm -hmm. actually get it captured. And mm -hmm. so what we're finding in, in the current environment is the cycles for digital transformation, the cycle time for patients for the, the kind of return on innovation to, to get your data science team to produce something for you. It's shorter. People are less mm -hmm. patient. They need results in 90 days, not nine months. <laughs> and until you actually take the insight and get it into the operational fabric of your business and get it consumed and, and implemented, you don't actually get any business value out of the investments you've made. Mm -hmm. And so we help people both at the early stage of the ideas get leading indicators whether or not the thing is going to create business value or at least have a theory about how they'll adopt it and create business value from it. And then a suite of practices and tools that rapidly move you along that process. So this data to decision accelerator process is meant to look at your data, help you apply design thinking and like lean product development practices are all of our innovation background towards very focused data product development or data insight development that help you as a company get to a decision and then implement workflows and things that allow you to take action on that decision. Okay, gotcha. Um, can you give us an example? So like I conceptually understand the area where you would be applying your skills and, 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 um, what kind of um, direction you help companies move in. But a concrete example would be very useful to understand, oh, okay, that's, that's exactly what you guys do. Sure. Um, so let's say you're in the uh, retail space right mm -hmm. now, and you're mm -hmm. trying to decide where to open and close retail operations, yeah. or you're struggling with the mixture of... Uh, where you balance inventory or supply chain aspects mm -hmm. of, of how you're supplying your stores or, your, or even a manufacturing operation. Right, right now, you have some pretty big challenges. You have some pretty big disruptions based on the shift in how people are purchasing, where they're purchasing, where they're spending, everything else. 
Yeah. And and so uh in a good example, um let's let's say that that data that's coming from the markets is impacting people with corporate loans. We work with a, an industry organization called Global Credit Data that has a, a centralized database of large corporate and all kinds of different asset classes of loans. Mm-hmm. And banks uh, are through their regulations necessarily obligated to have certain capital reserves. And so we're working with them to create uh, kind of lean conduits for information from mm-hmm. the banks to report mm-hmm. on their non-performing loans, mm-hmm. looking at ways with them of how do you take an idea of how you merge that with market data, real-time data, mm-hmm. and then create insights for banks to change the way that they're configuring their portfolios and maintaining their balance sheets. Mm-hmm. You know, at times that could mean a shift in the capital reserve that a bank keeps on their balance sheet. They could free up tens of millions of dollars and put it to work productively elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Other times it could mean real-time signaling of things to remove from their balance sheet that they should submit mm-hmm. to a marketplace to sell off. But the, you know, that's a sort of maybe a poor, a poor choice of a case study. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the point, I guess, is that there's a need to integrate data rapidly. Mm-hmm. There's a need to understand how that data relates to it itself and create some type of common data model or common data fabric that allows you to understand the data that you have. <clears throat> and then you develop analytics and, and sort of insight generation on that. And then you have to rapidly be able to plug those insights into some operational system. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that takes the form in all kinds of different places. There's uh, work we've done with uh, public data sets and kind of correlating public health data sets or uh, public governmental information and procurement data sets mm-hmm. where you want to be able to correlate those things, do some en- entity resolution between all the different players that you're seeing in those data sets, and then allow people to make strategic decisions on the integrated data model that you see. And uh, you know, anyone who's saying, hey, we have a bunch of data or we're going to get some new data or thinking about buying data from a third party. You have to ask the question, like, why? What are what are we hoping to achieve? What mm-hmm. is the what is the business value? What's the outcome for our business? If we purchase this data, what does it do for us? Mm-hmm. And so we help people think through that process, create a, a prioritization framework of what they're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. understand clearly what the business value is they're trying to deliver once they've integrated that data and then help them build the, the kind of engineering pipelines and analytical tools that get them to the ultimate insight. And then the final step being, okay, now you have the insight. How do you change the workflow of your organization that do something about it? Mm. Okay. How is the work you do different to consulting? Um, good question. I would say it is consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a small dimension of, of what we do where uh, we, we develop venture foundry type mm-hmm. applications or products. So we, we form our own ventures um, and sometimes we partner with uh, data interested early stage venture capital firms to help them build some of their platform to actually mm-hmm. uh, move their data engineering kind of chops along so that when they're investing in things in the early stage, we can help them rapidly get their MVPs into market. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say we look a lot more like a partner mm-hmm. and a venture foundry in our consulting footprint, but mm-hmm. at our core, we are consultants. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. Um... And uh, what are the typical industries uh, that you work with? Uh, lots of public sector stuff, tons of healthcare experience. Um, here and there, financial institutions as well. Like we're working with an early stage mm-hmm. uh, kind of neo bank right now to help them inflate mm-hmm. their operations from basically idea and pitch deck stage to a fully operational bank, leveraging a bunch of the fintech platforms that are out there today. That'll mm-hmm. take us probably 120 days to inflate a bank from scratch. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, gotcha. So public sector, healthcare, banks. Uh, do you have any case studies from the healthcare sector? Uh, given you know the current situation in the world, it'd be very interesting to, to hear what kind of uh, services uh, companies require in these days. Yeah, um, there's a, a little bit of, uh, I have to filter my answer a tiny bit. Uh, mm-hmm. just in deference to the kind of disclosure agreements with some of our customers. Um, yeah. But the the general need right now is for understanding uh, how 
current healthcare strains and demands are impacting the footprint of where you're making investments, um, and then what regional healthcare operators and systems can do to better uh-huh. serve their population, and looking at some of the social determinants or behavioral segmentation of how people's health is currently being impacted. I think the dialogue has shifted from tracking and observing where people are disproportionately being affected by the pandemic to mm-hmm. what do we do once the virus is here? Like what's yeah. what's going to happen next? Um, sorry, once the vaccine is here, yeah, what's going to happen next? Um, and uh, I, I think so there's there's some amount of that uh, as, a, as a current observation. But gen- generally speaking, I think healthcare data is... Uh, very messy uh-huh. and it's a struggle for most providers or operators or payers to get it all integrated to get into a place where they can consult it um and then there's a ton of domain knowledge that's needed to understand mm-hmm. what you're looking at to then help people make decisions about it mm-hmm. okay speaking of messy data is that a common <laughs> common thing you encounter when uh, like the data is not high quality and you you uh, your team has to spend a lot of time preparing it sure it's a, a fantastic question so data is always messy anytime mm-hmm. uh, data comes from an external source that you don't control um, or touches human beings or human beings are involved in the process of yeah. aggregating or entering or collecting the data it becomes messy uh-huh. and i would i would say our experience has been that you know standard data scientists they're going to spend two three weeks developing a model six to seven months developing clean data and dealing with data hygiene so they can actually test or train the model. And then another six or seven months dealing with production issues and DevOps and deployment pipelines and ML ops to get their model deployed. And Uh something like 70 or 80% of the initiatives fail because Uh they just never make it through that cycle. But the the starting point is, is data hygiene um, and data quality. It Uh actually, it brings me to an, to an interesting point about data quality and data quality engineering. Uh-huh. Uh, out of our venture foundry about seven years ago, we launched a, a social impact venture called Ultronauts. We employ mm-hmm. folks on the autism spectrum as software testers, and, and we have this awesome new data quality engineering practice that's been launched by our new uh, kind of uh, our our new VP of strategy. Uh, I forget her exact title. Uh, but Nicole Radswell is this amazing woman who has a fantastic long record in in kind of understanding machine learning, data science, data quality, quality engineering, general consulting, and transformation services. She's amazing. But uh-huh. Ultra has this burgeoning practice around quality engineering services on the uh-huh. data side, so data quality engineering. Uh-huh. And uh, really what we're seeing out everywhere is folks are integrating all kinds of new data. They're having trouble assessing whether or not the data feeds are worth integrating. They're having trouble understanding in their own data what is the kind of statistical profiling of their data and where do they need to be concerned? What kinds of decisions should they be able to make based on the quality of the data? And then once you operationalize something, there's always drift. So how are you monitoring for that? How are you checking? How are you making sure that your assumptions are still valid that you built your models on? And so there's this whole space that is coupled to um, this idea of, of using data to make decisions where you also have to make sure the data still has quality or has quality before it gets in the door, or that you've cleaned up all the random internal data that you have and, and created some type of known framework of, of what's in there and how to use it. But Ultronauts is a super cool company. Like I said, it's about seven years old. We, uh, we, we say we're out there demonstrating that cognitive diversity is a competitive advantage. of the company is on the autism spectrum and uh, it's just great. We, we, we really have found some magical, what we call uh, kind of inclusive practices where you you embrace neurodiversity and we are, we're kind of what we call this universal workplace we're designing where we're, we're figuring out how to employ cognitively, cognitively diverse teams. And ultimately we, we release some of our findings to the world and share our practices to inspire other folks to do the same. That's amazing, uh, and it's a great example as well. This um, data knots, the neurodiversity uh, venge- companies, like uh, that. Uh, Elephant Ventures is just not just a consulting firm. Sometimes, as you said, you partner up with people and you create companies. Um, I wanted to ask yeah. a bit more about data quality engineering. So, sure. to somebody who's listening to this, who wants to start a, a startup, or maybe who is already running a company. What is your advice in terms of data quality engineering? How can they, like, what's like 
the one takeaway that you can give them right now that they can go and do differently in their company, whether it's a startup or an existing enterprise, uh, that will help them with data quality engineering. Man, the one <laughs> prize, pearl of wisdom. Um, the, the, the thing that I think is more important is the, the precursor to data quality. Mm -hmm. um, in, in terms of understanding what your data cat catalogs look like, mm -hmm. like what you're actually ingesting. Because mm -hmm. it, it, it's almost like, you know, if you have a, a mixed bag of fruit, you have apples, you have oranges, you have, you know, a couple of rocks that looked red and you yeah. have this like a, a tomato, which I guess is a fruit. Um, yeah. you, you don't really know what you have. And so how, how do you know, do, do I have, do I have quality fruit? Do I have yeah. quality apples? Well, yeah. or it's it sort of. Do you have quality rocks? The, yeah, do I have quality rocks that are painted red? Um, and and so there's a lot of work I think that goes into understanding the data as it's coming in, yeah. And and almost like the custodial aspects of data hygiene, mm -hmm. like what's there, what is mm -hmm. populated, what's not, mm -hmm. what is variant, you know, what has the same type of field formatting or the same type of data type, what's the the breadth of the coverage inside of all the fields that you have? Is are they always you know, are they drifting? Is the profiling of your data different than it was before? There's really uh -huh. easy ways on the data custodial side to start the process and just know what you actually have. And then there's a secondary layer in the same vein of like knowing what you have. If you don't, if you don't understand the data itself, like what it's useful for, it's harder to understand whether or not you like what, what you need to build a program around quality engineering, mm -hmm. because if, if there, there are some things you can do statistically and stochastically that, that don't really depend on a core business understanding of what it is you're dealing with. Yeah. Other things, it's more important to then build on top of a solid, clean data framework and an understanding of your catalogs to then figure out, okay, how am I empowered or how am I set up to be able to make the kinds of decisions or use the type of data feeds in, in models or data streams for my business? So understanding what the data is applying to or how it's being consumed is almost like the second order step of data quality engineering. The first step is like knowing what you have and making sure that it's the, the custodial aspects of ingesting it and, and kind of integrating different systems into a common data martyr data fabric that, that you have some baseline of quality there. So I'd say mm -hmm. start, start at the custodial level. And once you're mm -hmm. comfortable with what you have, then you can move into the second order stuff where it's really understanding how it's impacting your business. Uh -huh. But the, I, I guess maybe the, the eye on the prize is like, don't do the custodial stuff just to do the custodial stuff. Yeah. Also have some semblance or idea of progression. that says, I know where I'm going to capture business value. Ultimately, like I know, I okay. know what quality I'm trying to drive. I'm baking apple pies. That's why I need good apples. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. It's uh, especially relevant for enterprises at large companies where they have so many different sets of data and different storage facilities where they, they don't know, nobody knows what kind of data they have. So uh, I think it would be very valuable what you're saying for a company to go in and uh, do like an audit of what is all the data that we have, put a list together. How long yeah. does, in your experience, does that usually take? You know, it's funny. I have a, I have a friend who uh, is in the data engineering group at a very large firm, uh, pharmacy company and yeah. we have this data-driven innovation pattern where mm. very rapidly in the span of 60 or 90 days we can go from the idea of a product to implementing this pattern and kind of an offshoot from your core corporate data engineering pipelines and data fabric and get you to an answer and surface it through a graphql api to whatever kind of application you want in a in a fairly fault and change tolerant way like it's built it, it's this pattern that's built to like plug in any kind of data in whatever format it's on, wherever mm -hmm. it lives, mangle it together into a common data model, do the hygiene and custodial stuff you need, get it surfaced to an API so you can start making decisions rapidly. Yeah. And we, we talked him through this pattern. He's like, this looks awesome and it's fantastic, except yeah. most of my days right now are spent just trying to figure out like these three fields 
have a 5% deviation sometimes because we acquired 47 other pharmacies and some one of the 15, you know, pharmacy order fulfillment tracking systems we use didn't get the memo on some data update to our collective schema from six months ago or a year ago. And I spend four months trying to convince them to just comply or update the way that they're, you know, handling data and make a change to whatever intro system. So the like the time constant of the standard giant enterprise change or or like mm. the way that they get started in some of these programs, they are fighting monumental battles to get tiny changes made. And so mm. sometimes when you're looking in the kind of data-driven innovation space or transformation space where you need rapid time, uh, rapid turnarounds, and you don't have that much time, you need to kind of build an offshoot to the core data fabric or core data engineering or data ops group hit hit the measure that you need, prove that you've created business value, and then do the monolithic battle of getting that refactored back into your core operational fabric. It's uh it's an interesting pickle. He was he was like, these are super exciting tools. I would love to be able to use them, but my day right now is fighting with someone to update a super old system and change three fields to have the new configuration we want. And it's it's been a 90-day discussion just to get it added to their backlog. And then that might be another eight months until they actually implement it. So the reality of some of this stuff is, okay, knowing that that's happening, how do you build a rapid response system that can just do the translation you need there or the transformations you need and catalog and maintain those kind of hygiene customization uh, transforms or or scripts that, that deal with moving those things around or refactoring data so you can actually take advantage of it until the ultimate initial system change gets made. Okay. Talk us through this pattern that uh, your friend was very, uh, your colleague was very impressed by. Oh yeah. So we, uh, we leveraged uh, an open source tool from the Apache foundation called Apache NiFi. It basically huh? has a library of a handful of hundreds of pre-built connectors, a pretty rich development community. And it's, it's sort of like the data, get it from anywhere package. It's standard kind of ETL tool. But it's built on this the Zookeeper pattern for elastic scalability. So when you want to deal with data streams or you want to scale it up massively or distribute the load of jobs, you totally can. But simple things like retrieving files, talking to APIs, talking to databases, getting some data out, it's really good at that. And then it has a good compromise uh, between, you know, writing your own custom Python scripting to do all this stuff uh, or uh, some clicky dev, you know, simple user ETL package that is frustrating and doesn't do everything you want to do. It has a really good uh, way of storing these kind of process chains and process groups uh, and processors of how your data gets moved around. Um, and it has some visual visualizations of that. So you don't have to be a super in the weeds, hands-on software engineer to be able to modify it or change it or figure out what's going on. And it has really cool things like resumability. It has uh, data provenance built in so you can tell what's happening with your data all along the way. And so we leverage that to very rapidly just grab whatever data feeds we need from wherever. The, the default conversation when we, when we meet headwinds is like, look, can you, can you export it to a file and just yeah. get it somewhere for us? Great, we'll grab that and we'll deal with it. Huh. And um, escalating from there in, in complexity for programmatic access or spinning up elastic containers that have to run a certain type of client to get to certain type of secure data sources, whatever, it'll handle it. And so we do that, we get it to a rapid uh, kind of ingested core hygiene scripted transformed common data model and say, okay, here's the core data set we need. And then we use a tool uh, called PostGraphile, which is an interpreter of the structures of the ultimate common data model we produce. And it surfaces, it, it generates uh, GraphQL endpoints. So we have this thing we call the instant API pattern. As long as you change the data model and register the changes in the data model, and you've designed your kind of core data structure as well, it will pick up and automatically write the API for you. So like the days of maintaining API code for us are over, we just use this pattern where you go files from anywhere, go through NiFi, get through into PostGraph file, into a Postgres database or equivalent, and ta-da, you have an API. And then we've got other patterns around kind of like usually React or D3 dashboarding components or custom workflow development that can talk to that API. And yep. as soon as the data is in the database, then you can you can consume it 
in your in your dashboards or front end applications or workflow applications. And so really right. we've orchestrated the whole thing. We can turn it on in the cloud for people very rapidly. We could show up and you know 30, 60, 90 days later, you've got a functional d- data mart dealing with data changes, ETL kind of transforming into whatever you need. And then it's surfaced into a, into a secured API where you can build applications and kind of consume it to get to value. And uh, it's been it's been super helpful for us. We we have this uh, this methodology around like this de- dependable innovation thing I was talking about before, where it's, it's sort of 17 years of collected learnings of like how to do innovation properly and make sure we're mitigating risk for our customers and, and getting products to done very rapidly. And so as we as we looked at the amount of projects we were doing that involved data over the last four or five years, we have thought of like, okay, well, we've done all this lean product development. We've done all this kind of, we'd use the, like the Google ventures design sprint pattern to help people take eyes, uh, take, take ideas and move them into actionable things and vet it with customers within like a five day process. So we said, okay, well, what does this look like for data driven product? It's like design thinking for data design sprints for data driven products. How do we take our innovation practices that are very close to the concept of like rapid transformation services. I wrote, I wrote this thing called like digital transformation on steroids at ridiculous speed, uh, which is essentially what innovation was typically called. Um, but we take this pattern and like we ingest all your stuff. We get it into a common confrontable model. We put it in a database and you can either run analytical packages and deposit more processed outputs into that data store, or you can spin up either workflow or dashboardy type pipelines to confront it through an API or you can link systems with the API. Um, but it's it's fully baked. So we don't have to make any of those decisions along the way architecturally. We just turn it on and then we start actually working on, okay, where's the data? Can we get it moving? Let's run the analytics. Let's see if there's actual business outcome there, business value there for you. And so a bunch okay. of the plumbing stuff by leveraging this pattern gets compressed down, you know, which might take you three to six months to develop on your own. We turn it on in a handful of weeks and we get right to the part where we're actually trying to iterate on the analytical model or talk to the data providers or provisioning systems that are sending data to us to correct attributes or expand the data sets to actually get to value. And we try to shrink that whole cycle between the the consumption or viewing of value and the provision of data. Okay. Wow. Um, right. <laughs> My mind is boiling right now. This is, <laughs> this is, I'm finally realizing this is very interesting, um, like in the sense, like what it what it actually is. So, my understanding is correct that what you guys do is uh, is kind of like a data end-to-end data pipeline with, uh, and another another way of looking at it is like it's auto ML, but with an added backend of getting everything first into the system, ingesting. Uh, ETL, all the preparation, and then auto ML built on top of that. Is that is that about right? I, w- I wouldn't say it's auto ML. Um, I think, but yeah, the 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 idea of like all of the plumbing and yeah. and getting it in there, dealing with data hygiene, getting it transformed, getting into a confrontable common data model, and then having pre-selected patterns to be able to get the data out of the database to your yeah, analytical yeah. frameworks. Or uh, uh, so it's like of, a pipeline. It's it's definitely like a pipeline and. Um, the 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 hand in hand kind of innovation consulting history that we have helps yeah. us launch a project not just on the plumbing side, yeah. but really like what are we trying to achieve? What's the business outcome here of all this? That, that's the part that I thought was AutoML, but it's like it it's more like experience based ML. Yep. From from yeah. your experience. Yeah, and and also uh, just experience based consulting. So sometimes consulting. when people are doing this. Uh, doing these kinds of projects they're just not connected to what's the priority for the business what are they trying to achieve what's the outcome for the business Uh and once everybody kind of agrees to what that prioritization is and what the outcome is they're trying to achieve it's much easier to have very tactical conversations about hey listen i need these 23 fields added from your feed right like tomorrow and they're like well well i'll get there in six months it's like no no no. there's like (laughs) 30 30 million dollars of like net profit on the line here if this thing works kind of need them next week and and when you have that kind of clarity of purpose and the value you're trying to capture, the conversations become much clearer. Uh-huh. It's not like, hey, I need 300 tables and four different files of data things added and just give me the kitchen sink of everything you have and I'll let you know what I need later mm-hmm. or just give it to me all now because I don't know what I need. It's more like, 
here's the outcome, here's the data I need, here's how it will drive the outcome. And the, mm. the conversation efficiency and the implementation efficiency goes up by several orders of magnitude when everybody's aligned <laughs> to a key business value result. Yeah. I love this. You you repeat that even in our conversation. Value, value, value. You got to be focused on the business value, and then your conversations will become easier. If anything, yeah. I think one of our we we, we like to describe our data decision accelerator process is helping businesses capture value from data yeah. driven decision making. And and essentially, yeah, yeah. I saw that on your website. That's yeah. That's it. Like the differentiator for us is we teach everybody in the company to focus their attention on business value. You're, you're not yeah. just building technology for technology's sake. You're not just doing math or data science for data science's sake. There's a purpose. There, there's, yeah. a, there's a particular business objective, some business value increment you're trying to deliver. And we have all these, these theories in our dependable innovation framework about uh, kind of, th there's this cool concept that isn't ours called the innovation valley of death, where, um, there are three critical factors that make an innovation live, right? You have time, like yeah. market window time and, and some amount of time to do the thing. You have uh, money, right? Funding uh -huh. for engineering, talent, and whatever you need to make it become real. And, and then you have political air support. Like someone somewhere is taking a risk on building this new project and they're supporting you. They're buying you time. They're helping yeah. you secure funding, whatever. And you have to shepherd those three resources. So we as... Uh, kind of a transformation innovation provider, we look at our job as being a good steward of those resources for our client. And I can't make quality decisions about what to do for you, where to cheat, where I can move faster, where I can underbuild on infrastructure, overbuild on features, but rigid features that might have to get refactored later. If I don't understand the business value I'm trying to achieve, I don't know how to, I don't know how to make those decisions. And you introduce yeah. inefficiency and waste. And if, huh. if you don't, uh, create defensible, differentiated intellectual property that's actually delivered. So delivered, defensible, differentiated, we call it D3IP. If, if uh -huh. you don't do that for your client and you don't accumulate enough of that, you don't reach the innovation action potential so that the innovative project you're trying to, to get into market lives and breathes and like actually succeeds. It's like you're playing Mario Kart and like you're in the time trial, you go around the track and you run out of time before you get to the, you know, you don't get to go on the next lap because you ran out of time. Yeah. Yeah. If you run out of the, the time, political air support or, or cash to be able to keep working on the thing, then you don't get to keep doing it. You don't actually get it in market. You don't actually <laughs> deliver it. Yeah. And so unless you actually deliver business value and get the thing into market, all this investment in people, data scientists, data infrastructure, data feeds, it's all tremendously inefficient and wasteful because you don't actually get anything back from it. And mm -hmm. as, as our you know, consulting practices taught us in, in 17 years of being innovation stewards, you, you have to look at what we call like the cone of reality dispersion. Yeah. Like what is going to happen? A friend of mine, this guy, Dave and I, used to say, uh, job one of leadership. I don't know if this is his quote or not um, originally, but... Uh, Job one of leadership is, is make sure everybody's going in the same direction. And, and job two is make sure it's the right direction. <laughs> so we have this like cone of reality dispersion. Like th this is where we are now, like a point in time. And you can imagine this expanding cone out into the future of likely realities. Well, yeah. if you have a lot of uncertainty, the, the, the sort of angle of that cone, like the, the amount of, of space and possible realities you have to deal with is vast. So what do you do as an engineer? Like, well, I have to have a system or I have to have data engineering or the data to deal with all these eventualities. So yeah, you yeah. overbuild infrastructure. You move really slowly at the start because you have to accommodate all these variable ah, futures. Okay. And so if you know the business value you're trying to create, what does that do? Yeah. First of all, it gives you a North Star. It makes sure that everyone's pointing in the right direction. Uh -huh. But then... If you understand the business value really clearly, it narrows the cone of reality dispersion. Uh -huh. And essentially, you're planning for less likely realities. And the more you can narrow that cone and the more clear you can be about the business value you're creating, if, if you think about like the volume inside of that cone from the yeah. point of origin outwards towards the goal you want to achieve, you can move faster. Like if each increment of delivered innovation is based on the volume of that cone, yeah. You wind up moving faster the narrower that cone is. 
And, sure. and you can cheat. You don't have to build that. I don't need that data file. I just need this one. I don't need that pipeline. I don't need those hygiene routines. I just need this one. And so when you have everyone at every level, every person on your team down to the, the most junior engineer locked and loaded and like, I get the business value I'm trying to create. I understand the priorities of my business customer. They know where they can move faster and they know where to over-index and invest for the future. Uh-huh. And so that makes the efficiency of the spend of time and, and cost way better. It also uh-huh. makes sure that the effort we're providing creates more D3 IP. So you uh-huh. accumulate more v- things that are ultimately going to unlock that value that lets your project be successful. And we, uh-huh. we really do train everybody to say, like, what are you doing? What's the business value it's creating? When we do our sprint reviews and we talk about the tasks and the stories that we're presenting, it always starts with a, a business value statement. The business value of this delivered story is blah. Here's how uh-huh. we did it. Here's what happened. And we present our work. And, uh-huh. and that kind of culture makes sure you're constantly looking towards, towards the why of what you're doing from a business value lens and make sure that ultimately the people that are funding you are getting you kind of, you know, you, you do your part to get them unlocked business value so that they can do their part to keep investing in, in, in kind of product development and, and the innovative things you want to do that then unlock that value. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Very interesting. So um, you um, have, um, what, I've re- I recently read a book, uh, Lean Startup by Eric Rice. And uh, that's like a, that's one path I know to unlocking, uh, to understanding what your business should be doing, what your customers want through constant experimentation and discussions with customers and getting their feedback on, okay, like this is valuable to me, this is not valuable. Um, and things like that. Um, how does that tie in with your um, with your philosophy of okay, we need to know that business value? Is it like you come into the company and the executive team is supposed you expect them to tell you what is the business value that they're searching, or do you have a methodology to help them understand this business value in the first place? Yeah, um, that, that's exactly it. Like it's it's lean data product development. Right. Uh-huh, and, uh-huh. Um, we have this whole data product design sprint process where if you're looking at mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the Google Ventures has a fantastic process that they call a design sprint. It's, they have this thing called the sprint book um, by Jake Knapp, I think yeah. is his name. Um, it's fantastic. It lays out the methodology. So we've we've taken that methodology and practiced it a bunch in helping folks go from early stage ideation to polishing an idea to uh, vetting that the idea has the best thinking and, and kind of the expansive thinking of many experts or individual stakeholders, and then building a prototype of that idea that's a reasonable facsimile of the thing you're trying to do and testing it with users. That's a five-day process. Mm. And oftentimes when we meet people, they're unclear what they're trying to achieve. What's their long-term goal? They're unclear yeah. what are the core priorities for their business, what they're trying to achieve. And we help them refine that vision. They may have an idea, but it, yeah. um, it isn't super clear. And so we yeah. help them formalize the description of that, help them validate what it is they're trying to achieve. And, and then they actually are able to close that loop and, and say, yeah, we put it in front of the end consumer of the idea, the end customer, and yeah. they validate it. They said, yeah, we're not just in our echo chamber of, of our own, like telling ourselves that it's a great idea. It really is a great idea. Um, and that helps launch the roadmap yeah. For kind of lean product development of what you're trying to do, like in in agile and lean product development, you're always trying to deliver the next most important increment of business value. Get feedback from your customers, and or the you know the ultimate business outcome you're trying to impact with data or analytics. Get the data back and close the loop, and make sure you're driving the outcome you wanted to drive. And so we help people construct what does that roadmap look like, and have a strategy for how that might evolve over a span of three, six, or nine months out. But really, we have a, a sharp focus on like, what are we going to do for the next three sprints? What are we going to do for the next six weeks of, of a roadmap? What are we going to achieve? If we do what we need, if, if we do what we set out to do three sprints from now, what will we have achieved? Yeah. And then wow. repeat it and then repeat it and do it again. Awesome. Love it. Um, yeah. Now that you've bombarded me with all this knowledge and like I'm soaking it in, why well, I feel one thing that would really help me is, can you define data engineering? Like now I have all this information, like how do you define what is data engineering? Because it sounds like we're talking about data engineering here. Sure. 
Um, I think it's a, a bit of like data product development and data engineering. But data engineering to me is the idea that there are suites of tools uh-huh. that you have that you need to be aware of and need to know how to use them. And it helps you understand where the data lives, how to get it into the places you need to be, how to transform it and deal with hygiene and, and kind of the real-time operational necessities of, of either batched or stream data. Yeah. And, and make sure it's reliable and high quality. Uh-huh. And so whether it's ETL packages or stream processors or giant distributed data repositories or data fabric kind of data virtualization technologies, it's about the tools of wrangling and uh, uh, presenting data to ultimately to analytical applications. Would you call yourself a data engineer? No, oh, and I would call myself an engineer. <laughs> we uh we recruit for a very uh particular set of skills and kind of aptitude alignment just this the core engineering problem solving mindset um yeah the kind of hypothesis testing insane curiosity and passion around solving problems and and so we we describe ourselves as engineers Uh, um we uh we had a cool project uh, back in the day where we actually built uh, an off-the-grid vending machine just because I was a mechanical engineer by training and someone talked to me about an innovation challenge and I was like, yeah, we could build that. So they sent us a vending <laughs> machine and we we rebuilt it in a low-energy CO2 dry ice-powered way oh. where we basically treated cold like product. But anyway, we're definitely engineering product builders. Okay, okay, gotcha. And uh, so you define data engineering? What is data product development? How do you define that? I think it, it, the, the product development side of it starts from what we were talking about before. Understand the business value that you're going to provide and then conceiving of the necessary data partnerships, data sources, data engineering tooling, data pipelines, ETL pipelines, and then also the analytical and data science tooling that you're going to need to do something new or differentiated or to help people make decisions. And, it, and if you really think about data-driven product development or data product development, you have to go beyond that. It's not enough just to surface the insight. It's also about, okay, let me understand the infrastructure and pre-existing systems you have in your company. Let me understand the workflow of the people who are interacting with those systems and what's possible and what's not possible. And then let me understand how I'm going to get them to adopt the insights that are coming out of this thing. It's really the full life cycle of how do you go from early stage origins and ideas to the underlying data fabric and data engineering substrate that allows you to do data science and and kind of analytical decision-making, data-driven decision-making, but then also the workflow, the end last mile of like, okay, we made it, we know what decision we should be making, or we know what actions we should be taking. How do we go from that point to an organization that complies with that? And, and there's a whole bunch of theories we have around essentially the input impedance of, of an organization to change and signal and the output impedance or the kind of output frequency of insight generation. And uh-huh. what we're noticing across the spectrum is that companies are heavily investing in the you know, higher and higher orders of, of insight and frequency, like super high frequency output recommendations and insights, but they've under-indexed and and don't understand terrifically well the input impedance and the kind of capable frequency response their organization can have. Like if if I'm someone who has an organization of, of, of stores, retail presence, or people, or knowledge workers, but I only recompile their model and retrain them once every six months. Uh Uh-huh. And the insight generation I'm doing for, for the thing I want, the outcome I want to have has a, a, f- a frequency of two or three insights a day, <laughs> adjustments that need to be made a day. Those are valueless insights be- yeah. because the input impedance of the, the mechanism that needs to turn those things into value that needs to change behavior, it's, it's a mismatch. So if you, if you mm-hmm. fail to consider how you ultimately get the insight into practice, the workflow you need to develop to actually consume the insight and get it into action, that that's a huge problem. So when I when I think about data-driven product development and how we take all our lean product development and innovation experience 
and apply it to these data ecosystems. That's a core differentiator is being able to go end to end and say, it's not just how do I get data from A to B? It's what is that data for? How does it create data value for my organization? And how will my organization act on the insight I generate from that data? Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, that's it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> nice, gotcha, thank you. Um, you also say that we're engineers, we're not the mechanics. What do you mean by that? If you want a person who knows, I don't know, the, the subtle file partitioning schemes in somebody's cloud for like how to super tune their Hadoop cluster, like there, there's a person for you. And that yeah. person is awesome and they have a wealth of experience and they're super skilled in that thing. Yeah. And, and so in that sense, you need that person with that point solution skill and, and tons of experience around that thing to get into the super subtle things that only they will know. Uh-huh. And that's not our strong suit. Our strong suit is the, the end-to-end thinking of how you get to value and then the speed with which we can get you to the, the origins of that value. So mm-hmm. from, from idea to MVP, that's where we, we shine. Okay. If somebody wants to, uh, I want to get a feel for this kind of technical skills. You already mentioned innovation and curiosity sure. and, and more like uh, qualities that a person needs to possess. But I also want to get a feel for the technical skills that are required in the space, whether it's for somebody who's uh, trying to do the same um, analysis that you do but on their own business or maybe somebody who wants to uh, be employed in a space that is similar to what you do what are some of the technical skills that you look for in people you hire into either data engineering or the data product development side of things the first set of school skills i think are around i would say habits and practices of lifelong learning yeah um, when we, when we interview for passion and curiosity, that that's what we're looking for is, is, are you ingesting yeah. new tech? Are you reading? Yeah. Are you experimenting? Do you have an active GitHub account? Yeah. Um, so kind of attribute wise, that's what we're, we're seeking from a pure technical skills standpoint. We look at things like code structures, coding hygiene. Do you understand SQL in the back end? Do you have other data storage you know, experiences, do you understand unit testing? Do you understand DevOps? Do you understand containerization and orchestration? Do you understand how to use source control? Um, Simple kind of computer science 101 kind of concepts. Yeah. Um, I think from a, a, at least in the data-driven product development side, we look for a little bit richer understanding of data modeling Mm -hmm. and like, the way that you structure questions uh, of the data and how do you look at a domain, a business domain, when you're talking about business value and how do you map that to a data domain? Like how do you properly do that data modeling so that yeah. you set yourself up for subsequent success? We've found that um, at the outset of our projects, we, have, we over-index on the data model side of things and really nailing the domain model and the data model up front. Most of the, the frustrations you'll find in a, in a Kind of long-running software project, or that you you mistook the the domain model up front, and you've then learned through painful kind of code missteps that you mistook that domain model, and then you wind up having to write very complicated code, uh, or pay a refactor tax to correct for it later, mm-hmm. and and a lot of complexity is is born from a misunderstanding of the core domain model up front, so you don't lay down the initial kind of core data model you need properly. Mm-hmm. And so we try to really understand that clearly up front. So I'd say just some good practices around how to think about data modeling and, and kind of storage structures and things like that. Those are, those are some great skills to start with. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, I know we're running out of time. Do you have a few more minutes? Uh, yeah, about five more minutes. Awesome. I just have one final question for you. What, uh, what do you... What is the future bringing for us? Like if, if I'm a data scientist or I want to be a data scientist, what is something that I should look out for in this space of data engineering, data product development? What are some of the things that are coming in the next three or five years? 
Wow. Um, I think you're going to see more work in the, or, or more tools that like democratize AI and machine learning in some sense. And that sounds like a soundbite that everybody's saying, but, um, the idea that some of the really difficult parts of data science will be uh, subjected to to tooling builds and yep. kind of auto generation abilities, where some of the the entry level, the simpler data science tasks, the kind of clustering tasks, and the the sort of simple predictive model training type stuff. There's a lot of different ways that you can go about doing those things, and and. Uh, as it becomes a little bit more commonplace, a little bit more simple, the tools have improved quite a bit. And so things that used to be in the domain of data scientists only or applied math people only will begin to be tenable or accessible to a data engineer or yeah. someone who's DevOps familiar. DevOps will expand into ML, ML ops, right? And yeah. as that stuff becomes better supported with intuitive tooling and training, more engineers will be able to take advantage of it with less understanding of the math. Mm -hmm. um, gotcha. And so, and so I think those are things that are coming. I would argue that with great power uh, comes the ability to mess things up epically. <laughs> and, and so in that tooling generation, we're trying to continue to invest in upskilling our folks on the math side, just because I, I don't think, You'll be able to do it. You'll be able to turn something on, but you won't understand the why. You won't yeah. understand what it's actually doing. And I think people will, in some sense, like misuse some of the, the learning models that are out there or the tooling that, that is afforded to them because they won't understand the inherent deficiencies or, or kind of carve outs of like, hey, don't do it this or don't use it for this kind of data set or don't, don't make this kind of prediction. I think as the tools move people away from the math, then the, underst the understanding gaps will grow and kind of the ability to make missteps with more powerful tools will, will increase. So I would just say, like, while the tools make your life easier, still invest in the data science learning paths and, and really understanding what you're doing. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Art. Uh, yeah. Great note to end on. Really appreciate your time here. Uh, sure. Can you please tell us where our audience can find you, follow you, or learn more about Elephant Ventures? Yeah, elephantventures.com, or if you're, uh, if you're fancy, elephant.ventures. <laughs> awesome, gotcha. And uh, it's okay to connect with you on LinkedIn? Yeah, of course. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Art. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Carol. So there you have it, everybody. Thank you so much for being here today and spending this hour with us. And uh, it uh, was interesting how, for me, it took. For, I found it interesting how it, it took me some time to develop, to to absorb all that information and to understand the importance of what uh, Art was sharing and put it all into more or less coherent uh, picture in my mind, and then it clicked. So I hope it clicked for you as well and <laughs> maybe even sooner than for me. Um, my favorite part, uh, in addition to all the things I learned and how, uh, what is data engineering, data product development, how it ties in with data pipelines, why it's important to have this rapid process of innovation and cut it down from nine months to 90 days. In addition to all those things, my favorite part was how Art kept repeating uh, that clarity of purpose um, and capturing value through data are important. It's important to have the clarity of why we're doing it to narrow down that cone of reality dispersion. Like even on this podcast, he repeated that probably like two, three, maybe four times. I can just imagine how when uh, he's doing a project for a client, he constantly repeats that to whether it's executive level, to uh, the people on the ground, the data scientists, everybody in the business, data custodians, how he constantly repeats this data value. How is value? How are you getting value out of this data? What kind of value you're driving? Because if you have that in mind, it really makes conversations easier. So uh, it's, it's almost like a, uh, a sub subliminal message 
that just travels across his work. I can imagine that way. And I'm grateful for him showing, like reminding us on this podcast that data, like deriving value out of data is important. If you prioritize that, if you think about, all right, what is the North Star that will reduce the eventualities that you, the quantity of eventualities that you have to be prepared for uh, as a data engineer or data product developer, and that speeds up your process. It's a very cool um, way he put that into this equation. So that was my favorite part. I'm sure you have uh, lots of great takeaways from here as well. And uh, as always, you can find the show notes at superdatascience.com slash 417. That's superdatascience.com slash 417, where you'll find any materials we mentioned on this episode, the transcript plus the URL to Arts, uh, LinkedIn, and Elephant Ventures. And uh, yeah, if uh, you enjoy this podcast and you know somebody who's into uh, data engineering or data product development or is looking to transition from just product development into data product development or uh, looking to transition from DevOps into data operations or into data engineering, uh, send them this podcast. It might help them understand uh, what this space is all about and how it is different to what they're currently doing. Very easy to share. Just send them a link, superdatascience.com slash 417. And that's us for today. I look forward to seeing you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing. <laughs>